Because we're starting off from a, a very low level, dramatic improvements can actually be made. That's the point. They can and should be made. If we're going to get to net zero, we're going to need technologies like that. And we're going to need engineers to snap out of the, their sort of routine thinking and to think differently. Hello and welcome to the Tunneling Podcast. I'm Alex Conacher. This episode we are talking to an expert in tunnel ventilation. The voice you just heard was Fathi Tarada, Managing Director of the Ventilation and Fire Safety Consultancy, Mosin. Fathi's spent over 30 years thinking about the challenges of ventilation in underground spaces, and has seen changes in that time, but in some respects, not enough. In this episode, we will hear his story, and we will also learn about something lacking in the ventilation segment, which still needs to be provided. But first, a message from this episode's sponsor. Support for this episode comes from Surumi UK. Surumi UK are the leading manufacturer of high-quality single and free-phase submersible pumps that are developed for even the toughest of conditions. Their products are built with superior quality, producing highly durable water pumps that are designed for a wide range of dewatering applications, including tunneling, mining, and other construction projects. They recognize that tunnels are digging deeper and demands are increasing. That's why Surumi UK provide a wide range of reliable products designed for pumping almost any type of liquid. Surumi UK pride themselves on providing a first-class service for their customers with maintenance-friendly products that reduce costs for the users. With that said, they live up to the slogan that their products are stronger for longer, as all their submersible products are accompanied by a three-year guarantee. To find out more, visit their website www.surumi.co.uk and that's Surumi spelt T-S-U R-U-M-I. And now, back to the episode. Fathi's engineering journey began with a degree in mechanical engineering at Sussex University. And uh, it was actually sponsored by the Bahrain Petroleum Company. So the reason is because they actually needed mechanical engineers in the refinery at the time. They needed mechanical engineers, Fathi needed sponsorship, and there were no universities in Bahrain at that time. So in order to study a degree, you had to go abroad. At the time, I was actually more interested in physics, and I very much wanted to specialize in high-energy astrophysics, uh, because I had some books on my bookshelf. One of them was by George Gamow, uh, so he wrote a book, I don't know if you recall, called One, Two, Three, Infinity. This was about black holes and things like that. And also there was a book I had from Roger Penrose, who's now Sir Roger Penrose. And um, yeah, sort of black holes fascinated me. And also the beginning and the end of the universe very much fascinated me. But sadly, the Bahrain Petroleum Company was not sponsoring astrophysics degrees. 
so the world of mechanical engineering gained the young Fatty Tirada. Then, during his undergraduate, he was invited to do a PhD in turbine cooling. So essentially, when you have these jet engines go up in the sky, they can ingest a lot of um, dust and sand, etc. And that can adhere to the surfaces of the blades. And because of that, it makes, the, um, makes them a lot more difficult to cool. And if you don't cool your turbine blades properly, they tend to sort of melt or break off or whatever. So my research work was on the boundary layers on rough turbine blades. And that's what I um, sort of sacrificed uh, three long years to do, <laughs> to study. After eight years at the university, he was ready to enter industry. When I did make the move in 1989, it was actually to a large engineering consultancy in Croydon, who at the time were designing the tunnel ventilation system for the Channel Tunnel. And I do remember thinking initially, well, this, this tunnel ventilation lark is so simple compared to developing a new model of turbulence, <laughs> which is what I was trying to do at Sussex University. With hindsight, of course, that was uh, quite an incorrect assumption. Because after the eight years of university, perfecting the engineering and science of tunnel ventilation would be the work of decades. Well, it's interesting. Essentially, you're talking about a piece of infrastructure, a tunnel, which in itself can be quite complex. So a tunnel uh, is not just a tunnel. Typically, it, it has portals, it has shafts, it may have stations if it's a railway tunnel or a, a metro tunnel. So geometrically, it can be very complex. And then the ventilation system that you're trying to put into it in, in itself is also very complex. And it's not just a question of uh, designing it. You've got to make sure it's going to operate properly. And it has to operate uh, sometimes under kind of stressful situations. You may have a fire in there. And you need to be pretty certain that under those circumstances, your ventilation system will actually operate properly. So the challenges are complex and this need for certainty is critical. But in projects of the past, reality has not always matched theory. One of the interesting things I established pretty early on is that um, when designing these ventilation systems, because of the various unknowns and the, uh, you know, in how we design these systems, or at least the way it was originally, despite the many kind of safety factors that we built in, you might be in a situation where when you go down to the tunnel and actually measure the air velocity that you've generated, that you don't actually achieve uh, what you wanted. Or perhaps just barely achieved what the design requirement called for. And this was concerning. Why is it that having applied uh, the equations that we think are applicable, the technology that uh, should be tested you know, in a factory beforehand, that we're still not quite developing the thrust or generating the air velocity uh, that's required. And therefore, it's actually sort of underlines the, the need to kind of look again at how we model these things, how we represent them, how we calculate them, how we design them. Because in my mind, you know, there was something missing. 
And it turns out that there were a number, m number of things missing actually. And it, in order to sort of close the gap, you need to enhance your knowledge about how these things really operate. These complicated systems within the tunnel environments again. It's important to take into account all of the relevant factors. You've got a fan that's running at a particular speed, perhaps shoving air down a, a shaft or uh, throwing air in, in a tunnel uh, from a jet fan or whatever. And you're making, you're making certain assumptions about how these things operate. You're talking about co complex airflow, complex uh, pressure drops, geometry that's perhaps not precisely known. There might even be signage that's restricting the airflow or generating additional pressure drops. So there are quite a few things that uh, you know, you're making assumptions about and that nowadays we can actually capture in all its full glory because we have this wonderful, wonderful tool called computational fluid dynamics. So with computational fluid dynamics, although it's not necessarily the be-all and end-all or the solution to everything, but in this particular case, it does give us this um, huge potential to actually capture all of these effects and uh, to represent reality in all its wonderful glory and to you know, really represent all these little bits and pieces which we had previously just ignored. The good news is we can do this. The bad news is that um, it's not without effort. <laughs> so, so we do have to put quite a bit of effort into it, but the, the rewards are definitely there. Computational fluid dynamics, or CFD, has been around for a long time. And when Fathi entered the industry in the late 1980s, companies were setting up CFD departments, although this approach was in its infancy. And uh, the kind of the mesh or the number of cells that you could use to represent your uh, physical domain or your tunnel was very limited. Nowadays, we can represent the rotating blades in the fan as well as the whole tunnel. So we can actually do the whole thing in one fell swoop. Fathi's involvement in this space throughout the 90s and post-2000 led him to what he is probably best known for, that is, his updated jet fan design for the tunnel environment, which he named MoJet. But we should begin with exactly what a jet fan is. So I think they're a great technology for moving air in a tunnel because essentially it's just a fan within a tube. That's all it is. It's a fan within a tube. So the air gets sucked in from one side and then it gets blown out on the other side at high speed. So this high speed jet mixes with the tunnel air and pushes it in the same direction. So jet fans have been around for, well, at least 50 years. So you think the technology must be very mature, but unfortunately they're also very inefficient, very inefficient because the high speed jet just tends to stick to the nearest available tunnel surface, whether it's a soffit or a wall. And that's because of something called the Coanda effect. The Coanda effect is a phenomenon where a jet flow attaches itself to a nearby surface and remains attached to it, even if that surface curves away from the initial jet direction. 
It's named for the Romanian aeronautical engineer, Henri Coanda. That's bad news because the increased wall shear tends to reduce the effective thrust generated by the jet fan. There are two other issues which um, are not equally important, but also can be quite important, uh, which is that when you install a jet fan very close to a tunnel corner, for example, you tend to choke its mass flow. In other words, you reduce the amount of air that uh, the jet fan can pull in. And that also reduces the thrust. Not quite as much as the Coanda effect uh, reduction, but it's still significant. And then the third issue is that when you install jet fans, let's say 80 meters apart or whatever, you can get this effect where the thrust is reduced because the jet fan, the downstream jet fan is ingesting a high speed jet from the upstream fans, okay? And that tends to unload the downstream fan. It's, it's pulling in high speed air and then discharging air at about the same velocity. Because the thrust is essentially proportional to the difference in the velocities across the fan, you're not generating much thrust out of that fan. It needs to be pulling in low speed air and discharging high speed air. It cannot ingest high speed air and discharge air at the same velocity. It, it's not going to generate much thrust. So, Fathi came along and updated the design to address these issues with the MoJet. So, what it does is it tilts the outlet plane of the silencer discharge, typically by about 25 degrees. Okay. So, this tilt, along with the bell mouth, turns the discharged flow away from the bounding tunnel surfaces. So, it reduces this or eliminates, can eliminate the Coanda effect. But the same tilt also solves the problem of the choking. You don't get choking with the MoJet at all, even in a corner, zero choking. And the other thing is it that significantly reduces the problem of the thrust unloading as well, because you're, you're directing this high-speed jet away from the downstream fans, so you shouldn't get this problem of ingestion of the high-speed high jet. So that's how that problem is solved. He originally sketched the idea on a napkin in a restaurant in Florence, which he eventually used in the final design, but sadly he didn't keep the napkin. But um, these things come to you, you know, when you're, uh, when you're doing things like testing jet fans. Since then, he set up his company Mosin in 2007 and submitted the original patent for his jet in 2008, although it has undergone a number of design iterations and improvements since then. So, yes, we have, we have done some very, very positive testing, both in the Montgomery Tunnel in Brussels and also more recently at the Mersey-Queensway Tunnel. And in those tunnels, uh, in the Montgomery, we achieved 100% more thrust with the MoJet compared to a conventional jet fan. And in the Mersey-Queensway tunnel, we got 30% uh, more thrust using exactly the same fan, just with a different silencer. And I think that's, very, I think that's great news for the industry, really. 
that we can effectively get a lot more for the, for the same input. Which is a direct improvement for the operation of the tunnel. If we're going to get to net zero, we're going to need technologies like that. And we're going to need engineers to snap out of the, their sort of routine thinking and to think differently. I'm not asking them to uh, do things that aren't backed up by solid evidence. We do have the evidence and we have, of course, that our testing, we have the 3D CFD, we have the factory tests, etc. So I'm not asking them to do anything that's not based on 100% tried and tested technology. But if the technology is there and we have this almost moral obligation to reduce power consumption, to reduce emissions, to, to reduce embedded carbon, why on earth not consider it? R&D is ongoing in a number of areas. For example, the combination of fire suppression and ventilation systems. But if engineers start to think about the capabilities of modern ventilation systems more creatively, Fatty says that this can have some major impacts on the design of the underground space. There's, uh, there's generally a, a, a misconception still that uh, if you have a long tunnel that you, you need more shafts, which isn't necessarily the case. I, I do accept in long railway tunnels or metro tunnels, because you can have multiple trains in a tunnel, you do need some shafts in order to break down the tunnel into multiple ventilation sections. Um, that That is fair enough and you don't want to drag smoke over stopped non-incident trains. But in a road tunnel, I think that we are now in a situation where we can largely avoid shafts, even for um, long tunnels. I think we, we can confidently say that we can more or less avoid, uh, avoid shafts. Um, but that kind of uh, misconception still remains in the industry. So uh, that, that is something to overcome. Modern cars create fewer emissions, and this is also changing the ventilation equation in road tunnels. And this will only progress further as electric vehicles proliferate. Fathi also raises that supplier's lament that more thought does not go into fans early on in projects, and that by the time procurement comes around, it's too late to benefit from the latest thinking and developments. The whole industry is geared towards a, a commodity jet fan product rather than uh, starting off from a clean sheet and saying, yes, we can actually achieve these dramatic reductions in, in power consumption and these massive improvements in, in thrust. So that, that's something we, we still have to work on. This has been Fathi's career. And although it keeps him more than busy, there is something else that is weighing on his mind. Despite the importance of tunnel ventilation, there is still not an authoritative textbook on the topic. It is amazingly. There is uh, now there's a lot of guides and standards and chapters and books and conference proceedings, but amazingly, there is not one single comprehensive book on tunnel ventilation. So I 
I have been asked this question quite a few times uh, by people, you know, can you direct me to a book I can actually refer to? And my answer is no, I can't because it doesn't exist. So Fathy asked himself if he could write such a book himself. Would it be possible? And if he did, would anyone buy it? I mean, look, when I went to university, subjects were taught on the basis of textbooks. So um, I remember, for example, uh, studying uh, electrical machines and we, we, were, we were given a book on electric machines. So if it's a subject, then there has to be a textbook. If there's no textbook, then there's no subject. So if we are going to be taken seriously in tunnel ventilation, then we need a textbook. And so here and now, Fathi is putting out a request to the industry. What would you like to see in such a book? Now, the book would have to span many, many different subjects, including the design, the operation, the control, the commissioning of tunnel ventilation. Uh, so there's, there's quite, quite a few issues to cover. But it will be a major effort and will need to be different things to different people. Anyone interested can find Fathi's contact details in this episode's show notes. I have had some very useful feedback, but I'm still very much interested in hearing from people what they think should be in a book like this. This is an area of tunnelling that has had such an impact on every other part of underground construction, and it needs talented people thinking about it from a variety of angles. If anyone listening, I would say, has an interest in, in this subject, I would say that uh, it is very much a, a subject that spans a lot of other disciplines. It is truly interdisciplinary. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in tunnel ventilation, you're almost certainly going to be interested in things like, um, well, fire as well, fire detection, fire safety, evacuation of people. Plus all of the civil engineering aspects of protecting the structure against fire. So I would very much like to encourage people, especially young people who are listening to this, to get involved, join their professional institutions, associations, join the BTS, join the Institute of Mechanical Engineers, the Institute of Fire Engineers, the Institute of Civil Engineers, and uh, let's improve this industry and let's drive it towards net zero. The Tunnelling Podcast is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and hosted by Alex Conacher, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, series supervision by John Young, and our executive producer is Rory Harris. Special thanks to this episode's supporter, Sarumi UK. And thank you for listening. You can find The Tunnelling Podcast on all podcast apps and at our website, tunnelling.reby.media.